We're going to be reading all of Isaiah chapter 40. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be filled up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told... You from the beginning, have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither 
and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who hope, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. All right. That was all of chapter 40. We're going to read it one more time later down the the road. So get ready. Um, Thank you, Pastor John, for this awesome reading of Scripture. Almost Happy New Year for those that are on this side of the globe. Um, Glad you could join us both online and on site. Um, Isaiah 40. The long passage that was read this morning or this afternoon begin with these words in verse 1. Comfort, comfort, comfort my people and speak tenderly. Comfort, consolation. It's something we all desire, especially times like this, as Omicron has taken over our world once again. And many of, many of us have spent much time isolated or just with our family. Um, and perhaps aspects of our life have been deeply impacted. Things we've planned this week, this month, this year have been altered once again. So comfort is what we all seek, what we all desire. When we look at our teacher, the way our teacher, Rabbi Jesus, has lived his life, this is one of the most unique nature of Jesus' ministry, to comfort those that were vulnerable, that were hurting, that were broken. Jesus, when you look at the story through the Gospels, we have four Gospels, stories of Jesus, one of the most mind-blowing ways that Jesus has ministered, Jesus had this amazing ability to never pass by someone who's hurting, who's broken. He had this unique ability to truly see what no one else saw. I think about his encounter, a famous encounter with the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4. Jesus takes a detour. As a Jew, you are not allowed to enter to the city of Samaria. He takes the detour at the hottest time of the day in the desert heat. He goes to this particular well and waits for a woman who really does not want to engage with anyone. That's why she comes to the well at that time of the day. Yet Jesus wants to encourage her, console her. We think about his encounter with a woman, another woman in another story, who's been bleeding for years and years. 
And she finally mustered up courage and thinks, if I could just touch Jesus, if I could just hold on to his cloak, I may be healed. And Jesus is in a crowded space with a bunch of people touching him and pushing against him. It, it scares us as we're living through the pandemic, this idea of being in a space where everybody's touching you. Jesus asks the most useless question, like, who touched me? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. But that conversation or that, those words begin this conversation with this woman. And Jesus consoles and comforts this woman. Throughout Scripture, throughout the Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, Isaiah 40 and other passages, we see God engaging, hurting, and broken and disoriented people with the message of hope, like Isaiah chapter 40. But the passage that was read today, wonderfully by our Pastor John, Yes, it is a message of great comfort. It's very clear from the introductory words. Comfort, comfort, my people speak tenderly to them. Yet it is unique because the message of comfort, at least in Isaiah chapter 40, has less to, less to do with context of people's struggles, the struggles that the audience is facing, Instead, Isaiah in this passage zooms out, way out, all the way out and encourages the people, the readers, to take eyes off of their own challenges and troubles that they're facing and look at the one who holds everything together. It's really about who God is, His amazing, wonderful, glorious nature. That's where Israel is supposed to find comfort. So the message of Isaiah chapter 40 is really what? It's simply Isaiah telling the people, look up. This idea of look up. Take a moment to step away from whatever, your challenge, whatever challenges and difficulties you're facing. Look beyond yourself. Look, what, look beyond what's around you. Look up to Yahweh, the wonderful God in His glory. So the primary message of Isaiah... Chapter 40, we'll read it again later. It is not, this season shall pass. It is not, this is a moment. I know it's difficult, I know it's hard, but later it's going to get better. That's not the primary message of Isaiah. It is not, also, put your hope in God who is utterly sovereign, although that is part of it. That's not the primary message of Isaiah chapter 40 when we're struggling, when we're going through something difficult, that's what we like to hear, that this is a moment, this is a season, things will be different later. Or trust in the one who's holding your life together. But Isaiah 40 offers different perspective. And he says, look up. And Isaiah, when he says, when, basically through chapter 40, what Isaiah is saying is, when you and I look up and see the glorious beauty of God, no matter what challenges and difficulties that may be facing you and I, those things will not defeat us. Pastor Paul Tripp, we've been leaning on him through this series, All of God. Pastor Paul Tripp, the author of the book All, says, Isaiah 40 offers us great comfort because it touches on our worldview. These words that are written in Isaiah 40 provides comfort not because there are promises of this will pass 
where God is sovereign, even though those are true, but really because the radical, amazing, awe-inspiring worldview that the passage puts forth. So today we're going to be talking about worldview, this idea of worldview. If you're just joining us, we are actually in the middle of a series that began beginning of this year called Awe. Awe of God, living in the reality and the awe of God. And we've said every week as we begin that week's sermon, we said the object of our awe, the object of our affection, whether that's family, friends, finances, or God, or something else, will deeply shape the direction of your life. In fact, it's not an overstatement to say all the challenges and temptations and problems that are facing you and I and that are facing the world are a result of misalignment in this area. It is the very thing that shapes our greatest moments of joy and our deepest moments of sorrow. When you think about the hardest events and experiences of your life. If you think about the greatest moments of mountaintop experiences of your life, it's got to do with what you are. So what's this idea of awe of God has anything to do with our worldview, right? Because we're going to talk about worldview today. First, what is worldview? When we say worldview, what is worldview? A worldview, this is the definition I got from one of the scholars. He says, a worldview is a combination of attitudes Values, stories, and expectation about the world around us, which informs our every thought and action. Simply, it's what we believe about the world and how that impacts the way we live our life. It represents, a worldview represents a person's most fundamental beliefs about the world. Your worldview and my worldview may may be very different. It's a fundamental belief about the world. It reflects how the person would answer all the big questions. Questions like, who are we? What are we doing here? What's the purpose of life? The meaning and, and the big picture, big questions about life. One scholar said it's like putting on a glasses, colored glasses, to see the world. And depending on which color lenses we put on, we will see the world according to those colors. That's worldview. Every day as you and I wake up to go to work, to turn on our devices, we are told something about the world. Right? When we watch shows on Netflix, when we watch shows on Disney Plus, they are telling us something about the world, how world should operate. And things, events, and experiences shape what we believe about the world. Our parents, right? We grew up in a home. Many of us grew up in a home. And our worldview has largely been shaped by the way they saw the world. And then you marry someone else and you're like, what the? Where'd you come from? Because we think so differently about everything. And that was true for the Israelites. That's, that's the original audience of this passage thousands of years, years ago. That is true for you and I thousands of years later. And passages like Isaiah 40 recenters, realigns your heart and my heart and reminds us once again 
how we ought to look at the world in light of who God is and in his glorious nature. That's Isaiah 40. And I know Pastor John read the whole chapter, and I don't know how you felt about that. I loved it. I want to read the whole chapter again, and this is very intentional. See, one thing, for one, there is power when we read Scripture together as a community. Pure, unfiltered, uncommentated Word of God. That's amazing. There's a blessing there. Two, this time, I want to encourage you, as we've talked about worldview and how we ought to look at the world, as I read these words of Isaiah 40, I want to encourage you, take this time, make it intentional, let these words wash over you once again. Let these wonderful, all-worthy images that Isaiah is drawing for us of great glory of God revive your reverence, fear, and worship of God. So everyone, let's breathe. Deep breath. Close your eyes if you want to. I'm going to read Isaiah 40 once again. I won't take longer. This doesn't add to the sermon, so don't, don't get upset, guys. Here we go. Isaiah 40. Let me read from verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare, her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Go up unto a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs. In his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighted the mountains in scales or the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge 
showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust of the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon will not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and in its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has they stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubborn. To whom then will you compare me? that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up, look up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power and not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator, creator of the ends of the earth, and He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, He increases strength. Even youths, shall faint and be weary, and even young men shall fall exhausted. Anyone exhausted? But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's close. No, not yet. Now quickly, there are two lies, right? What an amazing, world-shattering perspective about who God is, right? And remember the context, quick context is Israel is not in good shape. They've been just told by their prophet in, in Isaiah 39 that Babylonians are going to come and they're going to be taken from their homeland. For years, they're going to live away from the holy city, Jerusalem. So the context is not great, but Isaiah says, don't worry about all of that stuff because let me show you 
the one who created the world. Let me show you the one who holds your world together. Let me show you your God. Let this give you comfort. Let this be your confidence. So two things. Quickly, I've taken enough time. Two things that Isaiah 40 confronts, for not only for Israelites, but for you and I. One, when we read Isaiah 40 and when we live in the reality of Isaiah 40, it confronts our functional atheism. Let me explain, right? What is functional atheism, right? It's the way many of us live out our faith. We compartmentalize our faith, right? We have Sundays and we have Monday to Saturday, right? We have, we have, we have, we have these two boxes, where we place our faith in one box and everything else in the other box. Yes, we believe in the gospel. Yes, we believe in His forgiveness. Yes, we believe in the eternity to come. But these very beliefs have no or very little impact in the way we live. And, and Pastor Paul Tripp talks about this in his book, that most of us separate our lives into these two boxes, the real box and the spiritual box. And the, real, the spiritual box, or in your wheel box, there is your job. There's your physical health, food, friends, leisure, money, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, whatever you enjoy watching, marriage, parenting, daily things that you do. And this box often dominates and controls our thoughts, our feelings, and everything that we do. Right? And if we're really, really honest... This is where most of our emotional and physical energy is expanded. Then we, then we have the spiritual box, right? And in this box, we have things like church, Sunday service, offering, right theology, going on missions, joining a community group, being part of Sunday service, other God-related things. We put it into this box. And for too many of us, these boxes, these two boxes, never connect. There's an obvious disconnect between what we do on Sunday versus what we do on Monday through Saturday. And for many of us, this spiritual box or this faith is simply an aspect of life. It could be an important aspect of your life. It is still just an aspect it is not something that shapes everything that we think and we do, everything the way we live as it should, right? And this disconnect between these two boxes causes all types of challenges and struggles. And we've touched on many of these things last two times I've preached, right? Awlessness, right? Already in earlier messages, we, we, we said things like fear of others. Why do we fear people over God? Why is there a constant need to control, right? This idea of discontentment, greed. What about debt, financial debt, and other things that leave us and that make our lives really, really hard, right? Let's talk about debt. We never talked about debt here. We talked about other things. Let's talk about our credit card. Did anyone have credit card? I have credit cards. You probably have credit cards. And maybe you have your credit card debt, and maybe you have your credit card debt for different reasons that you could not help. But for most of us, we have a large credit card debt because why? We continue to spend beyond our means. Why do we constantly crave more? 
Why do we envy those who have more than us? Why are we all too skilled at spending more than we actually make? I mean, if you look at the numbers, Korea, household, the, the, the amount of credit card debt in this country is unbelievable. And I'm sure we contribute to, that, the, to those numbers. I like what Pastor Paul Tripp says about credit card debts in his book. He says, to the degree that you forget the awesome and satisfying glories of the Creator, to that degree you will look for satisfaction in the creation, material things. And because the creation has no ability to satisfy your heart, you will look again and again and again and again, acquiring more and more, but never achieving contentment of heart. Pastor Paul says that's one, Pastor Paul Chief says the one reason why we constantly struggle with credit card debts because we are looking to creative things to give us meaning, to give us value. And we have these amazing commercials. These marketing companies make millions of dollars convincing us you need the next iPad, you need this next Tesla, you need this next dress or bag or watch. It's going to fulfill your life. I mean, that's really all the commercials. Yeah, we know. You and I know. We know. Remember growing up? I remember every time I got a haircut, my parents had to buy me a toy because I could not stand haircuts. I hated haircuts. I was super ticklish. And every time I got a haircut, which is like every four months because I hated haircuts, my parents bought me a little toy. And I remember when I got that toy, when I opened whatever, it's a BB gun or, or G.I. Joe, I remember thinking, this is going to change my life. Having this G.I. Joe is going to change my... I remember first opening it up, playing with it, putting it into the box again, and hiding it away as if someone's going to steal it, right? But then what? A day goes by, two days go by, three days go by, and then you know what? G.I. Joe is just part of my toys, like the toy, it's like toy Story, the, 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 the movie. It's, it's like that, right? We, 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 we convince ourselves this is going to change my life. But the reality is it doesn't. Friends, that new shoes that you've been eyeing on Tangan, that new outfit, Tangan is carrot, like most use app, that, that, that new outfit, that new Apple device, the new whatever, you fill in the blank. They can never truly fulfill what you're hoping them to give you. That's one example, just that. We talked about control. We talked about anger. Well, debt. We got to talk about debt as Christians. We got to look at our finances seriously and really challenge ourselves. And we spent the last several weeks talking about anger, control, envy, mistrust. If you missed those messages, you can just log on to our YouTube and watch them. But these, all of these things, debt, control, envy, anger, selfishness, are all consequences of the way we have divided the spiritual life versus the real life. So that's one that Isaiah 40 confronts. confronts. The second thing, and the last thing, our passage confronts is, is not only this way of dividing our real life and spiritual life, it is also our distorted understanding of God, distorted view of God. For some of us, the problem isn't that we don't believe. It's not, it's not that we don't trust God or we, we don't think about God. It's that what we believe about God has been greatly distorted by, all, by our own experiences of life. 
Right? God you believe is not all that powerful. God that you believe is not all that present. God that you believe is not all-knowing. If he was, why am I going through this struggle? Why am I going through this kind of challenges? Why am I facing this kind of crisis? Fifteen some years ago, I mean, no, maybe 20 some years ago. Man, I'm getting old. I had graduated college, and I spent a month in Mongolia on a trip. I met this beautiful girl, and she was beautiful. She was like trilingual. She was smart. She loved the Lord. She checked all the boxes, and I fell in love like a week later meeting her. I spent a month in Mongolia. There was only one problem. Three months before I landed in Mongolia, she sort of was forced to marry this other dude, and she was miserable in her marriage, and we were both attracted to each other. And it was just heartbreaking for me. I'm a, I'm a young, you know, like 20-something-year-old falling in love. I mean, it sounds so cliche now, but like I was, I was genuinely so upset at God because I could not believe, right, only if I was here three months earlier because she didn't want to marry this guy. Now she likes me. I like her. There's mutual connection. This is the girl I've been looking for, you know, 15 years of my life. Not too long, right? I'm only 20-something. But at that time, I was so crushed by the reality of this sort of impossible love. Uh, and, and that took me, right? After that trip, it, it took me on this rabbit trail of like just thinking, man, God is bitter. He's mean. He's not funny. I don't like him. I remember coming back from that trip. Saying, God, I, I'm going to live my life now. I, I, I thought I did everything I was supposed to, live my life the right way, and, and you do this to me? I remember from three, for three plus years since that trip, I just did whatever I wanted to because I felt like what? God was not loving. God is not gracious. He's not generous. And it took a long time for me to return to the Lord after those experiences. And now I look back, I'm so stupid. I mean, I could have been a homewrecker. This girl was married and she, I mean, yeah, sure. Who doesn't have marriage issues? But here's a guy, not, not to, I forgot to tell you this, this is a mission trip. And on a mission trip, meets this person because I like her, think God owes me. And it took me three and some years to figure out I was the stupid one. That God is still good. God is still present. That it was my own bitterness that got me where I was. But this is often, I mean, that's, that's now comical looking back. Now I'm married, have two wonderful children, love, you know, my life. But the problem was at that time, I had placed myself in the center of my universe. And interpreted everything that was happening around me accordingly, right? And, and, and we laugh about the story, but you and I, we do the same thing all the time. Have you sat down with a coworker? Bethany has, right? Have you sat down with a coworker and you have you, you just you're just trying to do a small talk, it's awkward, and then next hour passes by and they never ask you how you're doing, but they have told you everything that you did not want to know. And you're thinking, gosh, you wasted an hour of my life. You didn't even ask me anything about myself, right? It happens to me a lot as a pastor, right? Um, 
But the problem is we just do this all the time, right? Late David Foster Wallace, a, a, a brilliant American writer, in the famous commencement speech, uh, he said this. He said, you and I putting ourselves in the center of our universe is actually the default setting. It's how we have been hardwired from birth. And it is so incredibly easy to fall into the trap of self-centered thinking. Friends, it's so easy to see everything, to interpret everything according to what we see as you and I in the center of our universe. It is so easy to slide back into our default setting, right? The sun revolves around you. That's what we think during the day. And the moon comes out and revolves around you at night. And you think all of your actions and their consequences in your reference to you and your children and your grandchildren, the generations to come after, you think of what each person around you is costing you, how much you sacrifice for each of them. Everyone else is simply an effect of your life. People you will encounter in the next 24 hours are either a smudge or a ray of sunshine on the page of your day. Beauty exists so that you can appreciate it. You deserve to be noticed. You deserve to be appreciated when you do something nice and people should be understanding if you're a bit grumpy because you've had a hard day. And when you're in a hurry, everyone else in your way, everyone else is in your way. That's exhausting. But that's sort of my mornings that I've explained to you guys. Every morning I wake up, I have... Millions of things to do. I'm already late to work because I had to, I had to get our daughters to daycare. And I'm at Starbucks or I'm at a coffee shop. I'm waiting for my coffee. And this barista, just do her job. Just make you, just, you know, five minutes. How long does it take for you to make me a cup of coffee so I can live my important life? I mean, that's my confession to you. That's what I think in my mind. And then when someone cuts me off on my way to church as I'm listening to my worship music, I'm ready to what? Get, off, get out of the car. Be like, yo, dude. Don't you know how important my life is? I got I to let people know how much God loves you, but you, I'm going to deal with you first. I mean, that's, I confess to you, that's sort of what goes on in my head. And that's often how we think about life. And I think that's exhausting. And Isaiah 40 comes along. And says there's a different way, there's, there's a new way for you to be able to look at your life, to live your life. Where there's a better worldview that offers us true rest and true freedom. That's Isaiah 40. I mean, listen to verse 38. It says, even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But, 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 then listen friends, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. So Isaiah comes along and says, stop looking at your situation. Stop putting yourself in the center of the universe and look up. Because if you look at the glorious wonder and the beauty of our Creator and what He has done, who has counseled Him, who has told Him what justice is, who has taught Him how to create anything no one has? This is a rhetorical question. And if that awe of God is at the center 
of your life. You're going to be able to look everything as they should. But if the awe of God is not at the center of your worldview, you will look at nothing properly. But friends, as, as I conclude, I promise I will conclude here. As I conclude, this is really hard. As I've shared my, how, I think, how I feel in the morning as I'm rushing to work. And Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Thank you, Jeremiah. That's a very positive message. It was also Calvin, John Calvin, who said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Human heart is perpetual idol factory. It means human heart desires to continue to look at ourselves and look at what's around them instead of looking up. And then we sang the song. The first song we sang, it says, we're prone to wander, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm not going to sing. Pastor John sings well. I'm not going to sing. That's the default setting. At least that was until Christ entered our world as one of us. This is where it gets good, guys. Later, later in the lyrics of the same song, the songwriter says, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Friends, Isaiah 40 is about Jesus. Look at verse 9. Isaiah says, Behold your God, this is your God. The Lord God comes with might and his arms rule for him. Behold, his reward is, in, is with him. And verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. Like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. Friends, the good news is that our good shepherd, Jesus, came looking for you and I when we were utterly lost, unable to come and look up towards him. And the gospel tells us that Jesus lived the life that we could not live and he died the death for us and because of us. Friends, the true message of hope, the true message of comfort is the fact that Jesus is the God that we ought to behold. And he is the message of consolation and comfort that will never disappoint, unlike the things that we look to. He's the one that will not disappoint. He's the one that will not let us down. He's the one, even in the middle of a pandemic and Omicron and isolation, we can look and gain new perspective of how we ought to live. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for these powerful, all-amazing, all amazing words of Isaiah 40. We thank you, God, that you're giving us a moment this afternoon to take eyes off of our challenges and our struggles. Jesus, you know our challenges. You know our struggles. You know the problems that are in our marriages, the problems that we have at work, the relationships that have been broken in our lives. You know everything. Nothing is hidden from you. So Lord, we, we, we step away 
we zoom out and we look up to the wonderful Creator God. And Lord, although we don't have perfect lives, we don't have perfect marriages, we don't have perfect relationships, although there's sin and things that we're struggling with today, there are challenges and questions and doubts that we're dealing with today, as we look up, would you continue to show us your goodness? Would you continue to show us your grandness? Would you continue to show us your wonderful, mighty hand over our lives? Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You're a good shepherd. Lead us today. Lead us this week. Lead us in this season. If anyone has wondered, if our hearts are prone to wonder, Lord, would you lead us back to our shepherd? Lead us, God. Take us back. Just hear me pray. Amen.